Hey, Bear Nerds, and welcome to the podcast. Today is Tuesday, May 10th, 2016. 11 breweries down and many more to go. Now I've got a, another kind of a special episode today, but it does include a, a guest um, a representative. Uh, I know the last episode was a little bit different, kind of more of a narration, did it kind of solo. Um, I might do more of those in the future, but but I do like the interview format the most, so that'll still be the, the um, dominant uh, kind of uh, podcast that I do. Um, it's kind of a cool episode today, though, because um, I, I was joined by the, the general manager. His name is Berkeley from Abbey Brewing Company in Abiquiu, New Mexico. And the most unique thing about them is that they are a, uh, it's a monastery. Uh, monks brew their beer. And we get in a little bit, uh, we get into the monastery a little bit itself and, and what like a day-to-day uh, might look like for the monk uh, that brews. But more specifically, we also kind of took, it the, t- took a look at the history of brewing as a whole, uh, especially throughout, um, you know, Europe and and, and how the, the Catholic Church was involved in, in those traditions. Um, spoiler, uh, sanitation was a very large part. Um, I want to just take a moment, as, as always, and, and thank everybody for subscribing and listening and, and rating and, and, and tweeting and all that stuff that, that just makes me look good. Um, I found out that I, I have a bunch of... Um, um, fans in, in Croatia now. I looked at my numbers and, and they're way up in Croatia. And then, then I even found a blog post about it, um, about uh, from a Croatian blog about the podcast. So that's it's very exciting to be international. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to send me a tweet at Moller, M O E L L E R M D, Moller M D, uh, or shoot me an email at yahoo.com. Now I would like to uh, apologize to to all of you all and, and Berkeley as well for the for the quality um, of the following interview. Um, unfortunately, you know, just because due to the technology that I have, um, not not everything is coming uh, across as, as crystal clear. If you have any questions about uh, anything that Berkeley says, uh, feel free to reach out and, and I'll make sure to answer those questions for you. Um, as always, I'm I'm always ex- taking uh, any audacity tips or uh, or editing. Um, uh, techniques that you you might suggest. All right, I am joined by Berkeley Merkant uh, from Abbey Brewing Company. He is the general manager, and he does some brewing as well. Berkeley, how are you doing? Very well, Mike. That's excellent. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how uh, you ended up working at a at a monastery, the Bruce? Uh, yes. Um, very briefly, uh, my wife and I uh, lived for. 30 years in Portland, Oregon, where we watched the entire craft brewing industry um, develop, and we eventually decided that we wanted to live in New Mexico, so we moved down here, and as part of that relocation, we became uh, aware of the Monastery of Christ in the Desert in Abiquiu, and it turns out that the prior of the monastery in the Abbot was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. They very quickly figured out that my background was in business, business development. They asked me to uh, work uh, for the monastery as a business manager. That eventually led to asking them to, uh, excuse me, that eventually led to them asking me to uh, run the beer company full time. Okay. Now, the the you've been there since about 2006, correct? Uh, when did the monastery uh, begin brewing? Uh, 
actually, I became involved actively in about 2009. Oh, okay. The, the brewery itself, you know, the brewery itself was actually founded in 2003, and it was a collaboration between uh, two private investors, a husband and wife, and two different Benedictine monasteries, one in Picos, New Mexico, and the one in Cabo, New Mexico. And the first uh, production occurred in 2005, and then since 2005, the Abiquiu Monastery purchased the entire interest of the Pecos Monastery. And uh, it, the, the, the two original ones, I guess the joint collaboration, the joint venture, it was, um, I believe it was Our Lady of Guadalupe and, and the Monastery of Christ in the Desert? That is correct. Okay, and, and the, the unique thing about this uh, specific um, brewery is it's the first uh, monastic brewery to open since the, um, to open in the U.S. since Prohibition. What, what exactly inspired the creation of that? Order is the oldest monastic order in Western Christianity. The order itself was started by Benedict of Nursia from approximately 480 to 547. And he wrote a rule called the Rule of St. Benedict that still guides monastic life today for Benedictine Cistercian, Trappists, and many other orders, uh, not only in the Roman Catholic Church, but in other uh, Protestant denominations. In that rule, St. Benedict instructed the monks that they were not to make for their living. They were to make their uh, living by working. In fact, he's credited with being one of the first people to actually lend dignity to the concept of work in Western civilization. Remember, at that time, you didn't work the ex-ways to do that all that stuff. Well, that's not what Benedict wanted. Because to him, work was a form of prayer, and prayer was a form of work. So every family in the monastery will have to support itself financially and be self-sustaining through the work they do. Because the Monastery of Christ in the Desert is located in the middle of a large federal wilderness area in northern New Mexico and also has a wild and scenic river running right through the middle of it, the monks have a 13-mile driveway. It's a dirt road um, that in many places is only passable by a small uh, vehicle, a, a normal four-wheel drive vehicle or a small truck. And so they have to find a way of, of supporting themselves. They do that through the combination of running guest houses. They have uh, a bookstore and a gift store available. And they also derive income from the brewery itself, as well as some other small ventures. And, and, they, and they produce their own hops there on, on site, do they not? That's correct. Um, I want to say it was about oh, six years ago, uh, we were approached by uh, a, a gentleman um, who was a plant geneticist in the small town of Embudo, Embudo, New Mexico, um, Todd Bates, and Todd had spent about 10 years collecting and hybridizing the indigenous hops that are called Neo-Mexicanus. And he approached us, and because both Abbot Philip and, and Father Christian had worked in the hop yards at Mount Angel Seminary in Oregon when they were growing up, they were very keen to experiment with these hops. 
So approximately six years ago, after two years of research, we essentially planted our first acreage, and, and that's now a small acreage. It's about half an acre uh, that is slowly expanding, and we use those Neomexicanus hops in two ways. First, we make them available to home brewers through the website www.holyhops.com. Is and second, we use them in our own beers. When we use them in our own beers, we always call them reserves. So when we're making, let's say, uh, Monk's Triple Classic uh, Triple, uh, we'll call it Monk's Triple Reserve, which means it has some Neomexicanus hops in it, but not exclusively Neomexicanus. Huh. Can I assume that these are mostly Belgian beers that, that are being produced? We are today producing beers. There are Belgian, but also, I would say, in the great tradition of European monastic brewing, which goes back to the Benedictines, 1,400 years. Yeah, and, and actually, I mean, I've, I know that, you know, the monks started kind of brewing as, as early as I've heard as, as the 6th century. What, what, um... I mean, I, I know you kind of got into it a little bit earlier with the with the uh, self-sustaining... Uh, um, but why why beer specifically? I mean, why not why not um, food or why why not uh, I, just why and how did they start making beer as early as, as the sixth century? That's a great question, and the answer is very simple. In the rule of Benedict, Saint Benedict enjoins every abbot, every monastery to treat every visitor as though they were the Christ. It doesn't matter what your station in life is what your um, spiritual values are or your spiritual tradition is, anybody who presents themselves, even today, to the Benedictine monastery will be welcome. And, and the Benedictines are known for their hospitality. When you come to a Benedictine monastery, historically, from the founding, and especially through the Middle Ages, you are guaranteed three things. First, you are guaranteed a place to sleep out of the elements. Now, if you were a traveling prince, you got the royal suite. And if you were a serf, uh, you got at least clean, dry hay in the barn. <laughs> the second thing you were guaranteed was safety. Everybody had to check their weapons at the door, and the guest master was there specifically to make sure that uh, no weapons were brought into the monastery. The third thing you were guaranteed is sustenance. That means you were given some food and some drink, and think about it, in the 6th century, 7th century, and onward, would you drink the water from anywhere in Europe? It would kill you. So the monks essentially started brewing beer, they started making wine, they started making spirits, depending upon where the monastery was located, and what they had available for raw materials, so they could provide people with something to drink that wasn't poisonous, the water would have been. Sure, it was a, so it was a water source. That's correct. And so that's how the tradition actually started. In the early days, of course, uh, beer is sometimes known as liquid bread. Bach beers, especially. Correct. 
Um, and I've also heard that the, uh, the that a German monk, I guess, is and the, the only reason that why we know this is a uh, a journal entry. Um, a German monk was the first to add hops, uh, I guess, in the early 1800s, or rather the early 800s. In the early 800s is correct. As, as you may know, uh, prior to that, um, the material called Grut, and Grut was a combination of herbs and spices and other plants that were available readily. The, the Benedictines also were the great librarians of Europe. And they kept essentially many of the uh, journals that were used for medicinal purposes and crack herbs and things like that. So as the monks were brewing, they would commonly alter the brew at the compounds, for instance, of the brew that they were using to make the beer, depending upon the season and what was available. So, for example, if they thought the pansy wort was a good uh, remedy for colds, uh, they would put that in the beer starting in the fall and winter. Eventually, of course, the tradition of hops came in and spread across Europe very slowly. Uh, the French, um, I believe, were the first people to mandate these hops, and the British were some of the last because Henry VIII had a monopoly on the production of Gruet, and obviously he didn't want a competition for his uh, little monopoly there. Man, I, I, I did not know that part. That, that's a good that's a good part of history. Um, and, and in general, I mean, the, the monks back then, they were really, really the first to sanitize any any kind of equipment that they had. I mean, sanitation wasn't really a practice that was known to, to every single person. And it was absolutely uh, a part of the process in, in all monasteries. Uh, correct. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, the son of the Emperor Charlemagne, um, actually decided that he liked, essentially, the spiritual tradition of the Benedictines. And so he set about to create what we today call a franchise, which is to encourage the founding and development of uh, Benedictine monasteries all over Europe. This was a period of relative peace in Europe. And the fact that you could travel from monastery to monastery and have a safe place to stay out of the elements where you were taken care of was very important in maintaining the peace of the empire. He started a monastery called uh, St. Paul. It is outside present-day Geneva. We have the records of that because he simply scribes in the totally document the operation of the monastery. Those are some of the best records we have of, of monastic brewing, and it includes some pretty interesting things, including, for instance, the sanitization of things, the use of metal uh, vessels, um, separation, let's say, from the of the mash coming from the kettle, uh, and another, a number of other innovations that today we just don't even think about. Yeah, we, we take them for granted. Now, um, now you kind of you kind of referenced this earlier as far as you know if uh, if you were a traveler you were guaranteed shelter. Um, if you were, you know, a uh, if you were a prince, you'd get the royal royal suites. If you if you were a peasant, you'd get at least some hay and, and a roof over your head. That was kind of the true with with the uh, with the beer that they served as well. If you were if you had um, a higher status, did you get necessarily better beer? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the story is, although I have never seen it well documented, the story is that that's how originally 
are concepts of the of the ankle, the single, the double, and the triple were formed. What they did was they would, in essence, uh, take the barley and uh, put into the mash tun, uh, go ahead and go through the normal first step of, in essence, steeping it to extract the sugars. Obviously, that first running had the highest alcohol in it. When it was put into casks, three X's were put on the end of it, and hence the triple, and that was reserved for the abbots, the nobility, and people like that. Well, the monks are frugal, so they said, hey, let's just put some more hot water in it. So they would add more hot water, they would get a lesser amount of sugar, and that became a double, and that was available to the, the profet- what would you think of as the professional classes of merchants and inmates and the artisans and people like that. And then being really, really um, frugal, they would do it one more time, and that produced an ankle, also known as Potter's beer, uh, also known as a single, and that's what the monks drank as well as the lower classes. Okay. That's, that's a story I've heard several times. Excellent. Yeah, I've, I've now, heard something similar. Yeah. Now, eventually, of course, the great Trappist monasteries in Belgium that were formed between 1836 and 1850, especially Les Malo, Aval, Les Lecce, and Ako, and they were all formed in that time period. But eventually, they brought back these styles. Okay. Now, now, fast forwarding to I guess present day in, in Abbey Brewing Company, what is what is a day in the life of a monastic brewer look like exactly? Well, um, I just come back from the uh, brewery at the monastery uh, this afternoon. Um, let's describe essentially the the life cycle of the monks at the monastery placed in the desert. They typically are awakened at uh, around between 3.20 and 3.40 in the morning, and they're in the chapel for their first hour of prayer, which is called vigils at 4 o'clock. Their day typically ends around 7.30 in the uh, service called Compline, which is about a 15-minute service, at the end of which they start to observe the great silence. Our monks observe a work period six days a week, Monday through Saturday, that starts at about 10 minutes after 9 and lasts until 12, 30, uh, before noon. I'm sorry, for curse. Uh, um, it occurs at 1 o'clock and then their main meal. So they have that work period. And every month is expected to work every day during those six days, obviously, to take some these off. And so they're available to work in the brewery with me. And then they have some free time in the afternoon. So, for instance, uh, the batch that we're currently working on, two of the brothers are going either between 12 and 12.15 to take all the readings, or to work at the temperature, the gravity, the aroma, and so on and so forth. Or they would typically go in around 2.15 to 2.30 when they had some time. So they, in essence... When, we're, when we have a brewing day, they're generally available for the day, and they will, in essence, be dispensed from um, some of the offices, the prayer services, etc., um, so they can spend the day, a whole day brewing. Now, we don't brew every single day there, obviously, and so that gives some flexibility. Absolutely. Now, um, just to kind of be brief, I once 
had a um, I once had a Franciscan uh, explain in a talk the differences between the Franciscan order and, and the Jesuit order, and uh, he was basically saying that you know if if you were a Franciscan, uh, you would you'd enter into the order, um, and they'd say okay we need somebody to um, to lead music or um, you know we we need some musical ability uh, come on in and, and we'll teach you how to sing and we'll teach you music um, whether or not you know anything about it or not. Uh, the Jesuit order, uh, he was explaining, was, um, you know, come on in, uh, what do you like to do? Oh, you like to play guitar? Great. Go ahead and, and uh, be in the music. Oh, you, you like to um, you like to go and go and give talks? That's great. You, you do that. You do uh, whatever it is that you think you can, uh, you know, use to bring glory to God. What is it like in, in that monastery, specifically from, from a brewer's standpoint? I mean, do they come in with... with um, brewing uh, experience already or or do they kind of learn on the spot actually a combination of both uh we have one monk who actually was a uh, competent home brewer and a home distiller so obviously he came with mechanics and he had a science background um just today i was actually working with brother dominic he essentially uh, came to us from India, and uh, he has a university degree, and it's in one of the sciences. And so the ability to teach someone like Brother Dominic is very straightforward because he has all the science background necessary. And then the other monk uh, that's been, I've been working with recently is Brother Philippe, who's actually from Canada. Uh, he grew up on the farm on the Canadian main border, and the tradition in his family was to make ciders. And so the moment he walked in and looked at the hydrometer, he said, oh, no, exactly what that is, how it's used, what it's for. Typically, the monks who are interested in brewing um, are people who have science backgrounds or they have some rudimentary knowledge of, of brewing science. Um, and, and they're asked, is, is this what they want to do? Uh, this is not their primary job. Their primary job is to be a monk. It's been basically uh, the majority of their day in prayer and reading scripture and meditation. And then they have this work period. Uh, so, so all the monks that have worked with me in the, in the brewery um, have that commonality of first being monks and then wanting to learn about brewing and participating in the brewing process. Okay, I, I got you. Now, now this is this is a serious question, and some people will laugh, but is the beer blessed? <laughs> um, not in the literal sense of being blessed. It is obviously um, blessed in the sense that it, it is a very serious undertaking for them. The rule of Benedict tells us to bring everything to perfection for the glory of God. And so in that sense, the monks came up with the tagline of made with care and prayer because remember that for them, work is a form of prayer. And so when they are working in the monastery, they are totally focused, they are totally present, and it is to them another form of active prayer. Okay, that that makes complete sense. Um... Just a couple more quick questions for you. I know you're pretty busy, so I won't keep you long. Um, as far as permissions go, I know that there there are some other um, 
monasteries in the U.S. That, that now brew as well. But just in, in kind of general across the board, does the monastery have to get you know permission from from the order from from the bishop? Um, how how does that work in order to brew the beer? Um, that, that's actually a very good question and has a very complex answer, and it has to do with governance within the Roman Catholic Church. The separate orders within the church, for instance, the Franciscans or the Jesuits or the Benedictines or the Trappists, um, they they exist outside of the normal diocesan um, organizations where you would find the diocese with a bishop with parishes with parish priests. The Benedictines have, since their inception, the benefit of being what's called a federation. Confederation, just like uh, the country of Switzerland. In the laws that govern the Benedictines and in the rule of Benedict, each monastery stands alone and is run by its abbot. By the way, abbots in the Benedictine order are elected, they're not appointed, hmm. and they can be unelected, by the way. Huh. So the decision of what a monastery does or doesn't do outside of uh, canonical canon law is basically the decision of the abbot and also of all of the senior monks who have made their final vows and either the entire um, community will vote or the abbot under the rule of Benedict has a council of, of monks and they would make that decision. Okay. Are, are people able, just, are, you know, just random U.S. citizens, you know, people of New Mexico, are they able to visit the brewery or, or, or tour it? Uh, anybody can come and visit the monastery of Christ. And it really doesn't matter what your faith tradition is. Or Distribute in, in nine different states, so I mean, you, you are you do have a, a presence of sorts. Do you have any future plans that you'd like to share with us? Anything going on? Yeah, I think the most exciting thing we're working on right now is uh, under New Mexico law, if you hold a New Mexico small brewer's license, you can also open um, a tasting room or a tap room that can be uh, physically part of the brewery, but also then under New Mexico law, we're allowed to have three remote locations. Ooh. And so we are in the process of planning and developing what will be our first tasting room. It will be in downtown Albuquerque. It will be called the Monk's Corner. And um, we expect it will be open between mid-September and mid-October based upon time it takes for licensing of that facility here in New Mexico. That that is that is very exciting. 
Uh, Berkeley, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's, it was a very informative uh, interview, and, and I'm actually, I, I walked away knowing a lot more than I did before. So thank you very much. You're very Thank you. Take care.